0: touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland, your beloved host. And today I've got a super special guest host live from CNET. It's Ayaz Akhtar. Hi, Ayaz.
0: Hi, Jonathan. It's good to be here.
1: It's uh, great to have you on. Now, Ayaz and I go way back. We met when uh, you were working with Randall Bennett, and uh, we became friends. So just in the interest of full disclosure, I, as and I, are friends. I know yes. it's shocking.
0: So any sarcastic barbs I take at Jonathan or he, he throws back at me, we do that out of love entirely. That is
1: absolutely true. Absolutely true. And today, uh, you know, I, I always ask my guests if they have a preference for the topic they want to cover. I has actually looked through the list of articles and and. Uh, suggestions and things that, uh, I've been collecting for pot- potential tech stuff episodes and picked one that was a listener suggestion. A listener named Jared shared a link to an article on Web Designer Depot and it was all about technology that had gone obsolete. And Jared said, wouldn't it be great to cover a, an obsolete technology podcast? So we're going to look primarily at the technologies that appeared on that list. Uh, and then we're going to kind of talk about, you know, what made them go obsolete. In a few cases, we might even debate if it is in fact obsolete. Uh, I think there's some that are on the list that might have been a little premature to say it's obsolete. When I think obsolete, I really think that it, it, no one uses it anymore. It's been completely replaced by newer technology. You know, like the crossbow. Not a lot of people using those. Well,
0: it's not obsolete. That, that still has a function. So that, yeah, we'll argue about that planning. Like, what is the true definition of that? Is it just no one in the world ever uses this again? Or is this just basically something that's been, uh, or its function has been traded in for another device?
1: I mean, sure, a crossbow is functional. I'm not saying it's not working. I'm just saying that, you know, they're, Okay, that you're right. We're going to get into this throughout the entire episode. <laughs> so, uh, spoiler alert, Crossbow does not appear on the list, so we're not going to be covering that. However, I wanted to uh, begin kind of where the, the list began, although I should also add these are not necessarily in the same order as they appeared on the article because a lot of the technologies in the article were similar tech, or at least were technologies that fulfilled a similar role and so i kind of grouped together quite a few of them uh, but in any case the first one was super eight or eight millimeter film cameras which the article referred to as video cameras and i immediately got the giggles because film and video are two different things now uh i as have you ever actually used a film camera
0: Surprisingly, no. The only cameras I ever used when I was growing up were ones that used uh, VHS tape, and mm-hmm. that's it. I never, I, I never had the experience of the Super 8. Uh, I think a lot of people are familiar with it, with the Wonder Years. That's what it looked like, kids. If you wondered what it looked like, this film actually going through with no sound usually. Uh, I think.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's uh, you know, you you had to record sound separately if you wanted to have sound with your films which meant that you would have to slate it. Slating, of course, for those who aren't familiar with the, the film production world, slating is where you have some sort of uh, visual and audio cue that tells the producer how to line, or the editor, how to line up both the audio track and the video track. So if you've ever seen the little slap boards that are often used to, you know, whenever you're seeing a behind-the-scenes shot of a movie, or it's just a television show where they've got that in there, As, uh, you know, usually it's when they're showing someone making a movie. That's what that's all about. Uh, so yeah, usually these were just silent films. Uh, it was interesting to me that eight millimeter film was actually 16 millimeters wide. Uh, it was just that you would, when you were shooting, it would record on one half of the film lengthwise. And then you would turn the cartridge upside down and reinstall it. And then you could shoot on the other half of the film lengthwise. So that was what allowed you to double the amount of film that you had per cartridge. Um, uh, that's one of the things that is very different these days, obviously. Like, we used to talk about film in terms of footage. Literally footage. How many feet of film did you shoot? And that's, while we still use the term footage today and we still use the term film today, that's no longer the case. Now we're talking about how many bytes of data did it fill up. So I, I agree that this is obsolete in the sense that I don't think you're going to find a lot of places offering Super 8 uh, film cameras or even Super 8 film. But you can still find a few places. It's just really tricky. And it's also tricky to find places that can process that film because unlike video or digital film, you can't just view it immediately. You actually have to process the stuff you shoot in order for it to become viewable. So uh, I, I'm, I'm okay with this one being called obsolete. What's your opinion?
0: It's definitely obsolete. Although I'm sure there are parts of Brooklyn where this is like the coolest thing that kids do or, or hipsters do. Um, I, there's, there's no way I would see anybody using these things these days. And unless you're like some kind of crazy enthusiast, it's like somebody who would set up a, like a, a flash with that powder stuff that would go up, flash powder, yeah. uh, that would seem to be very unusual. So I would think obsolete, absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah, unless you're a film student trying to make some sort of statement, I don't see this happening. Uh, it is interesting, another little bit of trivia, the old Super 8 film could hold 3,600 frames worth of film, which amounts to just a few minutes. So two and a half minutes of footage at 24 frames per second. If you change the frame rate, you could get more or fewer minutes of footage out but just imagine you know the fact that you are doing a take using a super eight film camera no take could be longer than two and a half minutes obviously that kind of pressure makes movie making take a lot more time and it's a lot more stress i think Uh, going along with this one is home movie projectors again not a huge surprise because if you don't have the cameras to shoot the film, then why do you need something to show the film? <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I mean we, that's that's been gone forever. I mean, yeah. I, I've seen these back. Actually, I have seen this in school back when they actually had the real like reels would come in. They'd wheel this AV unit in, and they'd have an old projector with this. But usually they were science things, not necessarily uh, home movies. But I'm just thinking back to the the how quick. You'd have to shoot things. I'd imagine it, the stress levels would be very high for families. It's like, get the shot right, get it right, right. cause we've got two and a half minutes and that's it. We're gonna have, be happy here.
1: That's it. <laughs> that's it, Jimmy. You gotta, you gotta at least give a, a, a false sense of happiness to everyone back home and we get one shot. That's it. Yeah. Uh, it's not like the days where we got to, to retry everything, right? If, you know, these days, if they take a picture with like a smartphone and you don't like it, you just, Delete it and do it again. That was not the case in the old film days. Well, uh, yeah, these, these projectors have been largely replaced with DVRs, DVD players, Blu-ray players, uh, VCRs even in some homes. And then uh, some people have digital projectors. So kind of a spiritual successor to the old real home projector, but it works on a very different technology. Now the next one I remember from my childhood, I didn't own a Betamax machine, but I remember the, the, the cassette wars between Betamax and VHS. And those are the next two on the list. Now th- this is the early video market for the consumer. Uh, video had been used in professional capacity for quite some year for quite a few years, I should say, uh, before it ever hit the consumer market. And then you had the VHS versus Betamax battle, uh, the, the main differences between the two, well, one, uh, Betamax was made by Sony and VHS was uh, uh, that came out from RCA, I believe. And uh, so you had a, a, a format war that way. But Betamax also could record in a slightly higher resolution and uh, was limited to, at least for the longest time, to one hour long cassettes for home recording whereas VHS didn't have that limitation. You could get longer recording VHS tapes, and that gave it an advantage. Also, Betamax tended to be um, more expensive than VHS. So this was a, a, a battle that we'd see play out again with Blu-ray versus HD-DVD. That's sort of uh, a fight that broke out. Um, and it, in many ways, the two format wars are very similar to each other. So if you remember the old HD-DVD war then this story is really <laughs> pretty close. Uh, the big difference being that I didn't go to the CES where Betamax pulled out of the show at the last minute, but I did go to the CES when HD DVD suddenly decided not to show up uh, the day of the, the show opening.
0: Yeah, this is Sony's, like, revenge, at least the, the Blu-ray one was, because when it came to Betamax, the quality was there. It was higher quality, like you mentioned, and a lot of people thought that quality would win out, but VHS was just much cheaper, and you could have longer films, and And I believe there was the adoption of pornography on VHS, so that kind of led the way at times. But Sony got to win, finally, with the Blu-ray, where I think the, the last major player they bought out, I want to say it's Warner Brothers, but they basically paid a truckload of money and insured, their victory in the home theater space.
1: Yeah. VHS, while I would say is pretty, you know, it's it's mostly dead in the Princess Bride sense of things, there's still plenty of companies that are offering up VHS, like VCRs, but they're usually combo VCRs. They're VCRs that are packaged as like a DVD or Blu-ray, even a Blu-ray VCR. Um, but there still are some out there. And, in fact, some uh, movies are still being released on VHS, but it's almost always a gimmick. Like uh the horror anthology VHS 2 was released on VHS cassette. But that, again, was kind of a one-off, like, aren't we clever sort of thing. Yeah, you can
0: tell when something's gone to the obsolete point when you see the prices start tanking on things like VCRs, the playback machines, they start going down and they start decreasing to this point. And then like they're practically giving them away for free. And then they start slowly increasing the price because so few companies are making it. Because so if you look up a VHS player now, it's not as cheap as it would have been back when it, the market was flooded. So I don't know if it's, it's not dead. It's definitely I'd say obsolete when it comes to video technology. It doesn't have the quality. It doesn't have the amount of I mean, I wouldn't say bit rate, but you're not gonna have the resolution when it comes to this. You're not gonna have the same amount of audio coming out of this this technology. So it's yeah. definitely uh it should be on its way out, but it's that it won't just die.
1: Yeah. I think obsolete is a fine word, uh, because like you were saying, I I think obsolete does not necessarily mean it has been wiped from the face of the planet. It really just means that, I mean, if you were going out today to buy a brand new home entertainment center, you probably wouldn't think of a VCR as a necessary component. But what about a Laserdisc
0: player? I loved when the Laserdisc came out. I was, I saw it. It came out in the store. I saw this massive box and you had these record size, shiny platters and then I begged my folks to buy me one. They bought me a laser disc player. I came home with it. And then I'm like, wait, how do you record on this thing? And they said, it doesn't <laughs> record. And I go, we're taking this back to service merchandise right now. So I had a laser disc player in my house for all of three days because I was not happy about it. My folks were very nice and they were very happy to get what I believe to be a $430 credit back from this store because that was really, really expensive and they were very nice enough to get it for me. So they get to, uh, they got to enjoy the store credit later.
1: That's so hilarious that, that <laughs> you owned a Laserdisc for all of half a week. Uh, yeah, I didn't have a Laserdisc player at all. Uh, I did grow up in the era of the, the home video, you know, wars, everything from the Betamax to VHS. We had a VHS VCR, not a Betamax. We didn't have a Laserdisc player. We did have a totally different obsolete technology that I'll mention toward the end of the show, but it's, uh, it wasn't, it didn't make the list. That we are talking about, uh, right now, the online list. Laserdisc players had a much higher quality than VHS when it comes to resolution and sound. They were kind of the predecessors to DVDs. Uh, they were, an, you know, the, really the first optical based home media, uh, uh, format. And, uh, it also brought in the era of full motion video because there were Laserdisc arcade machines. That um, used laserdisc uh, footage as the means of showing off the game, like like Dragon's Lair is the big example, where you know at certain moments within Dragon's Lair you could make a decision, and the character would go and uh, either succeed or fail based on that decision. But everything has already been pre-recorded; nothing was being rendered at the time that you were playing. You were really just unlocking various sequences. And, uh, that was the limitation of the Laserdisc format. It, it couldn't do anything beyond that. But on the other hand, it, people who own Laserdiscs love the quality of the picture and the sound. Uh, I remember going to parties with people who had Laserdisc players. They would always have, you know, one of the movies on in the background and it, it was, it just blew away anything that was on VHS. You didn't have that tracking. Uh, artifact that would go across when you, you know, your tape is not quite right. You have to fix the alignment so that you don't have the the static or whatever on there. That was never a problem. But uh, Laserdisc ultimately didn't catch on in the consumer market uh, to a wide extent. It had a very dedicated core of followers, but it eventually lost out to things like DVDs uh, and Blu-rays later on. So by 2000 in the United States, um, they were pretty much gone. So sad to say that it never really caught on in a big way, but it did kind of pave the ground for the following types of optical based media like DVDs and Blu-ray. Uh, then we've got a whole bunch that I grouped together because they are similar. There's the phonograph, turntables, vinyl records, transistor radios, boom boxes, the Sony Walkman, and the Sony Discman. So some of these, I could argue, are technically not obsolete. Uh, they might be niche markets. Um, in one case, the Sony Walkman, the brand still exists. So I guess you could argue it's not the same piece of technology. Yeah,
0: it's not exactly the same. The Walkman used to be a cassette player. For those of you who don't remember, cassettes are like this analog way of getting audio to you. And when the tape itself would have an issue, you'd have to get a pencil and kind of uh, rewind the actual tape. Yep. So there's, there's a whole generation of people have no idea what I'm talking about. But when you had these cassettes, you'd, you'd want to walk around with them. And Unlike something that, that succeeded them, like the Discman, you didn't have a lot of skipping problems. You could run around with the tape and there was no real issue there, but you did have to deal with the destruction and wear and tear of the actual tape. And I remember when I had a Discman at one point, uh, it was great once they, in, they invented anti-skip technology, which was basically just reading ahead and having the audio set to go in case of a skip because optical media not exactly designed to be ran around with back when it first came out
1: yeah it had to buffer that audio so that should you encounter a bump it could continue to play seamlessly and like you were saying the cassette didn't have that problem you have other issues like there were times where maybe the tape could get caught on something and unwind from the cassette and that was a huge headache uh you know obviously it's a magnetic storage medium so if you were to work near i don't know superconductors or something you might end up having some issues on your music uh but but i you know i I certainly was a big fan of the cassette back in the day it was one of the easier ways to have your music be portable and the walkman specifically made that easy as for things like well the phonograph sure the phonograph's obsolete it's been obsolete for ages i don't even know how it made the list (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of like saying you know uh I don't know, like, uh, the horse and buggy is obsolete. Well, yes, that, that is obvious. Uh, turntables, I'm, I don't know. They're, again, it's like a niche market, but there are lots of music artists out there who will release their music on vinyl and you play it on turntables. I'm I'm sure there's some people who collect that kind of stuff, even if they don't have the, uh, the device to play the media on, but they're just a collector. Uh, but I, you know, I, I know that turntables and vinyl certainly still have a place. I mean, DJs alone make sure that that doesn't die out completely. Uh, would you go so far as to say that turntables and vinyl records are actually obsolete?
0: Definitely not ob- obsolete at all, because their replacements would be something like digital music. And the big claim is that there is some kind of analog warmth that you get that you just can't reproduce on a digital medium. And so as long... As long as, as there's going to be music, there's still going to be vinyl. Cause you, you know, of all the things that try to replace vinyl, the fact that it keeps coming back mm-hmm. or it just refuses to die, I don't think it's, it's ready to be called obsolete. Cause then I mean, why, why don't we other, why don't we ever see other analog audio take off as well as vinyl does?
1: I'm not really yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, the only thing I can think of is that the, the cassette tapes, uh, have the magnetic media tend to have a, a hiss behind it. Which people say that obviously takes away from the fidelity of the recording, whereas vinyl doesn't have a hiss, assuming that your equipment is clean and the record is unblemished. I mean, obviously, if your record has wear and tear, there's going to be some pops and scratches in it. Some people say that actually adds character to the recording. And uh, for, a, for a full generation, that was the way people were used to music, and it sounded weird to not have <laughs> those kind of pops and scratches in it. So uh, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that one's obsolete. I would say that that one, that one probably does not merit inclusion on the list. Uh, cassette tape recorders and cassette tapes are actually the next one that were listed in the the article. And I can see why. I mean, obviously, the music, like the pre-recorded music stuff, the music industry, going out to buy an album has largely and almost totally abandoned the cassette format with with little one-off exceptions, things that are really more of a marketing gimmick than anything else. For example, the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, their awesome mixtape is going to be released or has been released out on cassette tape. But that's because the cassette tape played such an important part in the movie. It's really more movie memorabilia, I would say, than an actual musical album in that sense.
0: Yeah. When it, cassette tapes, I mean, obviously I was talking about before I, my big life with cassette tapes was recording stuff off the radio. I'm sure you've yeah. done this too. It's like, you got your boom box, you're waiting for it. You're waiting for a song because there was no way to get audio very easily. You just had to wait around for it to come in through the airwaves. You had your cassette tapes. And like back when we're talking about the Walkman, nothing more, nothing would cause a panic. Like seeing that tape getting stuck between the right. heads and you're like, okay, did it get twisted? Is it busted inside? Uh When it comes to cassette tapes, I remember just having a ton of them. I liked how small they were. That was something that was a big, a nice thing to have, a portability, but uh, I think definitely obsolete at this point.
1: Yeah, I used to have cases of these things. My my college roommate and I had dozens of mixtapes, including tapes where we were doing just dumb things. Like, we each had vinyl record collections, including singles and full albums. So we once did a mixtape that was all uh, vinyl albums played at the wrong speed. So uh, we would have singles played too slowly, and we'd have full albums played too quickly. And we thought that was the funniest thing in the world because our senses of humor had uh, stayed at the... the eight year old level. I have since gone up to 12 years old in my sense of humor. So there's progress there.
0: Did you have a tape player that variable speed? So you could actually listen to it back normally if you wanted to, or you just thought that's it. One speed. This is how it's going to be.
1: It was one speed. Yeah. We, I remember distinctly like we had, um, Anarchy in the UK played super slow, which sounded more like a Rob zombie cover of the sex pistols made it really, really scary and ominous. But we also had a super fast version of Comfortably Numb, and hearing Alvin and the Chipmunks cover Pink Floyd was amazing. So, uh but we, yeah, once, once we recorded it, that's the speed it was going to be. We didn't have a variable speed tape player. Now, all of this, you know, by 2001, those cassette tapes made up less than 5% of music sales, and so pretty much you don't find them for pre-recorded music you can still find blank cassette tapes because apparently there are some people out there who are still using them to record stuff. But uh, as for like an actual album release, it's incredibly rare, except for the the random one-off. Uh, however, the next one on the list, eight tracks, I think we can just say is obsolete without even, you know, any debate on the subject. It was obsolete during the era of the cassette tape.
0: Yeah, I think that's just like enough said. It's the an 8 track. And if you, if you're mishearing me and you're thinking the Sony 8 track, that's not what I'm talking about. The 8 track cassette tape. Yeah. That, that just kind of, uh, went, went away. It was supposed to be higher quality audio than you'd be getting from other methods, but it was these giant cartridges. They kind of look like Atari cartridges, the 2600 ones. At least yep. that's what I remember them to be. I don't yep. think I've ever been in a car that had an 8 track
1: player. Have you? Uh, I have been in a car that had an 8-track player. My uh, my family did not own one. We always had just the AM and then later the AM-FM radio, but uh, we never had an 8-track player. 8-track players had a lot of limitations. For one, uh you couldn't rewind uh, a cartridge. You could only play it forward. Now, some 8-track players had a fast-forward. So if you really wanted to get to the other side of it, uh you could fast-forward the the cassette or if you wanted to hear a song again you could eject it turn it over fast forward to what you think is the beginning of the song you wanted to listen to again eject it turn it over again put it back in the player and push play and hope that you guessed correctly um you could also fast forward uh or rather when you did fast forward most of these players would cut the audio so you're just fast-forwarding. You wouldn't actually be listening to the stuff played uh, super fast. So you wouldn't be able to listen to music played at uh, the wrong speed. But yeah, this format died pretty much in, in the 70s. So I was a kid in the 70s, but I was a very young kid in the 70s. And I have no real memory of 8-tracks. It was only when I was riding in someone's car that dated back to that era that I ever saw an 8-track player. So we never had one in my family.
0: There should be a. I don't think there's any adapters that have like an H track to Bluetooth adapter or adapter to your CD player. Not a a thing. Cassette. I mean, cassettes still kind of live in cars. I know the last car I owned had a cassette deck in it, and that car was from 2004. Wow. So like, yeah. So it still had a tape deck, and it was had the ability, at least for me. It's like, okay, I'll get the adapter, but I've never seen an eight track to CD or eight track to Bluetooth adapter. So
1: all right. definitely dead. Well, I, I haven't even seen, like it's been a while since I've seen a car that had a CD player in it, much less a eight track or, or cassette player. But uh, again, might be that bias creeping in where I just, I, I'm, I tend to hang out in uh, other podcaster cars and we're all gadget freaks. So we tend to get the. The various systems that are all digital. Well, how about reel to reel tape? You think that one's still a contender or is that one obsolete? (laughs) It's not dead. I know
0: this because I think one of the last Foo Fighter albums was recorded on reel to reel. It was because they wanted total analog. They wanted to not use pro tools. So there's some Mm -hmm. certain bands that still use this to record and the Foo Fighters are kind of a big band. So, and I, so that's. It's it's unusual that somebody would choose to do that and I just remembered back with the cassette tapes I used to have a four track machine so I could record music on different tracks and that was my second big cassette moment because I was totally into CDs at that point but real to real tape this is another like kind of uh, niche kind of thing that people would be trying only if you want to have the analog sound from the very beginning because there's no other real reason to do it because it's kind of limited
1: Yeah it's it's really For one thing, it's just really big, right? I mean, it's, it's a bulky medium. And so you have to have a lot of physical space to store it. So that alone makes it less uh, attractive than a lot of other alternatives. Uh, Granted, you still have again, this, this sort of perception that the sound quality on the medium is fundamentally different from other types of media. And that might, that might actually be true. There are some things that come up during recording. That, uh, you know, you wouldn't hear if you were actually in the room while the recording was being made. It wouldn't be something you could perceive. But on the recording, you get these kind of distortions and interference of various frequencies as they're being recorded. And that becomes part of the song or whatever is being recorded onto that medium, uh, which is kind of cool. It's an idea that the the media itself is playing a part in the quality of the the song or whatever else it is that you're trying to set down. And uh, I think that's really interesting, but I don't... I think outside of that realm that you're talking about, IS, it's not terribly uh, um, popular or well-known. There's some... I know there's some computer systems that still use uh, a reel-to-reel type system to do backups, just because it's a legacy system, and that's what they have to work with. But uh, I don't think that's terribly common either. I, I agree that it's not quite obsolete, but it's definitely very niche. It's also, it's uh, very,
0: it's very useful if you're making like a period sci-fi movie. Cause if you have a large computer, they almost always had two reel-to-reel decks constantly going. Never knew yeah. what it was doing, but it was always in the background with the flashing lights. So right. if you're wondering what those giant discs are, that would be reel-to-reel in yeah, a lot of these sixties sci-fi movies and a lot of it, Twilight Zones as well.
1: It makes me think of, a. Uh, Airplane 2. These lights are blinking out of sequence. We'll get them to blink in sequence. <laughs> That's pretty much where that goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is, is another one that I don't think really fits as obsolete. It's ham radio. I, I think at this point, I would argue that the, the author of the piece is perhaps equating, uh, something that is not terribly popular with something that is obsolete. But ham radio, amateur radio is still a thing. Right? This isn't, it didn't people didn't just stop. There are quite a few uh, amateur radio operators out there. Yeah, this I, I
0: know it's not dead. Uh, I used to work at a place where this was very big with a, a certain group of people. But uh, it's definitely not something that uh, is marketed towards the general consumer or anything. So like like we talked about with other devices, things that if we want to think about it as will the normal person be like, yeah, I'm totally into this. And this is what I will choose to use over a cell phone. Or whatever it would be, uh, this thing's obsolete and that kind of not people, not many people are using it that way.
1: Yeah. I, I guess, yeah, from that perspective, certainly they're not using it as a primary communication tool. But it's one of those things also that I don't think was ever popular enough for you to say that it's been replaced by something else. It was always kind of this hobbyist, uh, uh, market and not something that you would see. You know, it's not, I don't think the average home a few decades ago had a ham radio sitting around in it. It was one of those things that people who had a very specific kind of interest, that's, those were the homes you found it in. Otherwise it was, it was just not there. So I don't really think of it as obsolete. I just think of it as, you know, kind of again, very niche, but the next one, telegraph, I feel is pretty obsolete.
0: Agreed. Yeah. I it's pretty cool and if you don't again telegraphs um i think the last time i saw one on mad men that was yeah. the last time i saw one it was an ad campaign for it and it was a pretty good episode but it's basically a piece of trivia in your head when it comes to what a telegraph is cuz you just text people nowadays
1: right yeah i mean there's so much stuff that's replaced it the telegraph system i mean it was all introduced in the 19th century so the 1800s um uh, it really got running toward the end of the 1800s when wireless telegraphy came in. And the thing that surprised me was when I was doing some research, just looking into this was how long the telegram business lasted in the United States. Western Union shut down their telegram service in 2006. I would have imagined that to have been much earlier with things like um, uh, just the telephone system, computers You've got cell phones. The smartphone really wasn't a thing in consumer markets in 2006. You'd have to wait till 2007 when the iPhone came out for that to really happen. But still, it was amazing that it stuck around that long. Uh, and then you have telex machines, which were uh, teleprinters. Uh, telex actually itself is the name of the network. It's not the name of the device. But the network allowed printers that had been hooked up to it to print uh, text-based messages that had been received over the network. So um, it's not entirely obsolete either. It's still being used in maritime functions. In fact, it's a requirement in the Global Maritime Distress and Safety System, mainly because other systems could fail. This is like a backup system for communication. It's not necessarily something that would be relied upon as the primary source for communication, but still an important network. I can see why you'd say obsolete, however, cause it's not like it's something that the average person is going to ever come into contact with.
0: I'm actually generally unfamiliar with telex machines other than like, I guess the Simpsons reference it at times, Burns, Mr. Burns does, the right. telex, but that's about it. Like I, I don't know much about it at all other than what you just said.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never, I've never personally encountered one. I, you know, my parents wouldn't let me into the telex room at home. So.
0: Yeah, they kept it in that cabinet. We weren't allowed to touch with the fancy soaps and the actually, uh beautiful dishes.
1: Actually, I have to correct you, I, is They kept me in the cabinet. Everything else was outside of it. That's much but more I, efficient. My folks should have done the same thing. They just locked <laughs> us out of rooms. They should have just locked us in a tiny one. So Harry, right. Harry Potter, Potter was largely based on my background. Um, yeah,
0: you and your owls, man.
1: Real problem. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay, let's let's not reveal my entire personal life to the internet let's move it. on to to Wang calculators this was the uh, yeah I remember Wang computers but only because I remember people talking about it after uh, the computer company had already faded away and um, it's you know it's one of those things where the more juvenile among us joke about it Wang computers but Wang laboratories was founded in 1951. And the Wang Loci-2, or L-O-C-I-2, was the first desktop calculator that the company uh, offered in 1965. They were enormous. Have you ever seen one of these? I have not. Okay, well, you know, like the really big um, office telephones, the ones that have lots of different bells and whistles to them, not just your average ones, the ones that take up a good quarter of a desk? If you've ever seen one of those, that's kind of the size of a Wang desktop calculator. These things were enormous. They weren't – it's not like a pocket calculator. It was a big piece of machinery. Uh, and these really have become obsolete. You can get a basic scientific calculator that could do everything that the Wang calculator could do, and you can put it in your pocket. Whereas these things, again, were were huge. Uh the company Wang Laboratories went bankrupt in 1992, and it was eventually acquired by uh, a company called G- G-Tronics in 1999, and then essentially dissolved. They folded it into their other divisions, and it no longer exists as its own entity anymore. It's kind of sad, but uh yeah, the I, I can't disagree that an enormous desktop calculator is now obsolete.
0: Definitely obsolete. Now I am looking. Okay, I found some pictures of this thing. It looks kind of like a word processor. Yeah, uh, it's just it is enormous. This is um, it's it's a computer. That's what it is. Exactly, <laughs> it does it computes things. Wow. Yeah,
1: yeah. Specifically math. That's really what it computes. You know, it, it, various uh like scientific calculator type, um, functionality. But yeah. It was, it was big. Now granted, at the time, it was a very advanced piece of machinery. It's easy for us to kind of joke about it now, but at the time it was, it was cutting edge. So it shows that we've gone a long way where you can hold something in the palm of your hand that can do everything that machine can do. Plus you can just carry it around with you. Uh, and you know, depending on the the device, you could connect to the internet. So that's something that 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 machine never could have done. Uh, analog telephones is our next one. Uh, the landline service has been declining steadily since the mid two thousands and digital systems are a huge, huge deal. Uh, I've heard that the FCC will allow phone companies to stop supporting analog lines by 2020 and that by 2030, we would expect them all to be gone. Uh, I asked, do you still have a landline?
0: No, I've moved to a VoIP box. Uh, yeah. landlines are, they're really helpful for things like, uh, 911 calls, because you actually can, the, uh, the dispatch can actually see where you are. Right. Uh, with that kind of thing. Uh, but these days, I believe you can set your home location with E911, so at least you have that kind of functionality built back in. Uh, although, analog, just regular landlines in general, just, they run with no power, since there's power always going through them. Is there a digital version of that that exists
1: where you can have power going to it all the time? You know, I d- I've i never heard of one. I've always seen the digital lines having to get supplemental power. So I don't know. I also don't have a landline. I rely solely on cell phones now. Uh, in fact, I haven't had a landline in probably a decade. Um, it's It's been a really long time since i bothered to to maintain one. I know there are a lot of people who advocate that you should keep one, like a just a phone, just plugged in somewhere, even if you don't have a regular phone line, just in case of an emergency. Uh, I know a lot of my friends out in San Francisco do because that's part of their earthquake preparedness kit. But here in Georgia, I don't have to worry about that. We get if we get an earthquake, it's likely not strong enough for us to notice it. So um, I haven't bothered with it, but. Yeah, I can see why this one's on the obsolete list. It's still, again, if you live in an area where you have to worry about various kinds of power outages or whatever, uh, often the phone line, not all the time, but often the phone line can remain uh, unaffected by that, depending on the nature of the outage, and it can be a really useful tool. I just It's just one that I never really think of. How about PDAs? Did you ever have a personal digital assistant?
0: I did. I had a handspring visor, and uh, if you guys don't know what that's like, it's kind of like a smartphone without the phone connectivity, but the visor was special because it had the ability to have something called springboards in the back, kind of like a Game Boy cartridge slot. You'd remove this little plastic placeholder. You'd put in something like a physician's diction- dictionary if you wanted or an encyclopedia, that is. You could even attach a cell phone attachment. So I actually – my first cell phone was a visor phone, which – Anytime I hand it to other people to use, they did not understand that they had to use a stylus or touch the screen to actually dial a number. And they were like, what about all the face grease? You're putting your face against the screen. That's just really weird. This is back in like 2002, I want to say. So this is a long time ago. So that concept was uh very foreign back then. Uh, were
1: you a PDA guy? I was not. I never had one. I, uh, I was actually a late adopter of cell phones, um, but once I did adopt it, I never looked back. So I I went from not having any kind of a uh, personal digital assistant, nothing like that. I had a computer at home and I had a landline at home, and that was it. You know, if I was out and about, there was no getting in touch with me. And I, if I needed to call somebody, I had better have that phone number memorized because that was the only way I was going to get it, uh, unless they happened to be in the phone book. Yeah, we used to have phone books. Boy, I remember those. too. That's um, relatively obsolete, too. Yeah, I still get them, even though I have put myself on the do not send list multiple times. <laughs> but um, uh yeah, it's that is certainly one of those things the Internet has helped replace. But yeah, I, I never I never carried one around. By the time I would have cell phones were a thing and they were. They had enough basic functionality for me to have a list of contacts of the people that I would call more frequently than anyone else. Um, and I never really worried about using them to keep schedules because uh, no one ever wanted me to go to anything, so I didn't need it. Um, yeah.
0: I was more of a second-gen PDA guy. I just realized this. My dad used to have the Radio Shack Rolodex. He had like the mm-hmm. large one that you would pair with a smaller one with IR. So you can actually send it over and these little, uh, the small ones are like a clamshell, uh, little device. It kind of looked like a business card holder had very, very like the spongy little keys on it. It kind of this like rubber membrane that you push and actually input stuff. But if you didn't want to do that, you could use a larger Rolodex one that had a much larger keyboard. It, it, it looked like a child's cashier kind of toy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If you wanted to remember what that looked like. And then for myself, not only did I have the visor phone, but back in college, I had some PDA with a stowaway keyboard because back when I was in college, kids didn't use laptops for anything. And we didn't really have, we didn't have Wi-Fi. I'm not even making this up. There's no Wi-Fi, and cell signals are basically for the really wealthy. So I would download my mail. I'd be between classes, type out the responses, and then go back to my dorm and then sync it back to send out my messages. That was a long time ago. And that is yeah. really scary.
1: <laughs> yeah, I skipped all that. And see, the the thing is that I, th- these truly are obsolete. the The smartphone has completely negated any need for the PDA. Uh, the smartphone can do everything that a PDA could do, and more. So uh, these days, yeah, I can't even imagine not having my smartphone with me. In fact, I, I start to go through withdrawal if I haven't, if I've left it behind, if I happen to leave the house and I realize I left the smartphone. Back at the house, it it starts to gnaw at me, which really is more of an issue with my psychology than anything else. But uh, you know, I I have to force myself to go on vacations where I don't have cell service or Wi-Fi so that I can just get away from it. Uh, it's funny because it's something that I never used uh, until the smartphone came along. Like I never used the PDA or anything like that, and now I can't imagine not using it. I I think. I think that speaks um, highly of the technology and not so highly for me.
0: Yeah, you are definitely somebody we should all pity. So yeah, our pity okay, is with well, you.
1: That's fair. So uh, what about pagers? Did you ever have one of those?
0: I really wanted one when I was a kid, but my folks were like, no, you're not getting a pager. And they were right, because who would be calling me? No, I was like an eighth grade. There is no reason for an eighth grader to have pagers, but my friends had them. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Who's calling you? And you'd have these cool messages, like the special number code, because you couldn't text yet. So they'd be like, I know 411 means there's some information, or there's 911 means there's some kind of emergency. I better go home, or whatever it was, or you'd call those people back. But I did not personally have a pager because I was deemed not popular enough.
1: I didn't have a pager either, and I never got one mainly because I couldn't imagine a – scenario where someone need to get in touch with me that badly, where if I wasn't next to my phone, uh, that it would be something necessary, you know, that they would need to go to that extra step to get my attention. I figured my phone and my answering machine <laughs> were enough to take care of all of that. Uh, and again, now that we've got cell phones and smartphones, pagers are largely obsolete. So I, I agree with it being on this list. Uh, what about uh, portable television?
0: Well, I'm I'm being reminded in my head that pagers aren't dead. I mean, doctors okay. use them, and that's there are true. there are uh, other versions that are available. Like when you go to a restaurant and they give you a pager, it's mean, still technically a pager. So that's true. So anybody wants to write in and go, they're not dead. They're not dead. We just think that you know these days you wouldn't be going to the store to get a pager. Uh, right. What was the uh, the other item you just mentioned? Oh, port- portable TVs. Oh man, I I wanted them to work. These are definitely, this is obsolete like crazy because there's enough streaming services. You can get things on your phones, but I had a Sony watchman. Okay. Do you, do you know what that is? Yes. Okay. So if folks who don't know, it was this portable television had about a 2.2 inch screen. It was like a brick. It was pretty large, had a telescoping antenna. It was black and white. Uh, I had a mono speaker. And because of the old days before the transition, uh, Pretty much getting a signal on the go, kind of impossible. So if you were in a moving car, it was useless. You basically couldn't watch anything. It was really about you could bring it with you, and you can stop and look at it. Mm -hmm. And it just it didn't do a very good job when it came to that. Battery life was terrible. The audio was terrible. And then... When something like uh, recently, there was a version of this that came back for cell phones called MediaFlow or Flow TV. They had their own spectrum. Once the analog to digital conversion happened with television waves here in the U.S., uh, there were all these free uh, frequencies. So they had bought this frequency and it was going to be here. People were going to have sort of cable like TV on their phones. It folded within a couple of years. Apparently, nobody really wants to watch live TV on the go. I'm not sure why that is, but that's what apparently has been happening.
1: I think I think live TV in general has really taken a hit. I mean, we've had so many ways of watching stuff on demand whenever we are ready to watch it you know, so that we are not held to the schedule of a television station or a channel or anything like that. I think that's really kind of filtered out through the entire spectrum of platforms that you would get television on. Uh, granted, there's still shows that I will set myself down so that I can watch it when it comes on. But there, I think there are only two that I do that for right now. And only one of them is one I like. I watch a show I don't like when it comes on. Wait, that would be a
0: yeah, good. Which one is it? Sleepy Hollow. Oh, you just watched that so you can criticize it. Is that right?
1: That's yeah, it's mostly so I can feel superior by criticizing the historical inaccuracies and ridiculous plot holes in that show
0: i think my favorite i think you tweeted about a scientific inaccuracy you, you don't mind it seems like yeah you can let go of the anachronisms you can let go of the the license that's being taken but when they can't get basic science right at times that's uh your your tweet was quite hilarious
1: I yeah i i go a little bonkers with that yeah i can handle the fact that there is a headless horseman walking around <laughs> <laughs> but if you get basic science wrong By trying to create gunpowder by just lighting sulfur on fire, then I really flip my lid. But listeners of Tech Stuff know we did a full episode about fireworks and I explained how to make fire uh, gunpowder, essentially. And they know you can't just light sulfur on fire and have it explode and be gunpowder unless you live in the world of Sleepy Hollow, I guess. I'm getting off track. All right. Our next one is another uh, batch, which I think we can just kind of dismiss out of hand, which is um LED watches, TV watches, the Seiko wrist computer calculator watches, basically all the little gimmick watches and watches in general have really taken uh, a hit. I mean, they're largely used as a, an accessory now as jewelry because almost all of us have some other device on our person that has the time on it. So they're not as necessary. In fact, uh, it's gotten to the point where even the smartwatch, which is still trying to make uh, headway into the consumer market, is having some issues because a lot of people ultimately say, well, why do I need this? So I definitely agree that these watches and watch form factors are all suitably on the obsolete list. Yeah, I don't
0: think there's a need for them other than fashion. I have my own uh, wristwatch that I like to wear. And the big reason why I wear it is because it's a kinetic watch. That technology has made watches a lot more palatable to me because then they never die. That's the big thing holding back, I think, a lot of these things like the spot watch back when Microsoft tried it or like the smart watches that are coming out in this generation is the fact that you have to charge something every day or it could die. And this is not the device you want to die. You actually want to know the time. It's relatively important because, you know, your life might have a schedule. So uh these gimmick watches, yeah, nobody nobody really needs to have, like, a Timex watch you hold up to a CRT monitor that flashes a signal that will give you the data. That was an actual right. thing. I loved that idea because it was so ridiculous. And, it, and when I saw the demo, it looked like it was going to induce seizures because the right. CRT monitor flickering which was brilliant idea of getting data from one uh, device to another. It wasn't the greatest uh, in execution, but yeah, definitely yeah. great curiosity. I loved these devices when they came out, but they just didn't hit it.
1: It was a very creative approach to trying to solve a problem, just not one that was necessarily effective. Um, yeah, and our, our next one would be CRT. It's good that you mentioned the CRT monitor because CRT monitors and CRT televisions – are on the list. Now these are cathode ray tube displays. They had a vacuum tube and an electron gun. The gun fired electrons at fluorescent screens and that would create the images. So, uh, these were that this was like the main kind of television before you got all the uh, great technologies like LCD, LED, plasma, stuff that allowed us to have these super slim, flat form factors. Everything before that was CRT. Uh, and by 2000, That technology was pretty much on the way out and it's, you know, depending on the store you go into, you may not even be able to find a CRT monitor or display in the store. Um, did you, do you have a CRT, any CRT displays laying around?
0: Not anymore. I used to have some CRTs. Uh, you can, you can probably pick up CRTs free on the streets of New York. I've seen them outside. They're just literally by the garbage and it says free on it. It says working. But, I mean, nobody's really using these devices anymore. It's like the idea of a 32-inch television. Like, that's really tiny nowadays. But if you had a 32-inch television and it's a CRT, you're talking about a good 100 to 150 pounds of television. So it wasn't like, hey, you want to get this TV upstairs? It's like, what is it? It's a 32-inch CRT. (laughs) No. That is staying downstairs.
1: Yeah, that's gonna be the basement TV. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, I I have some sitting in storage that I just never got rid of. I, I need to uh, find a an electronics recycling program and put them through that way because, like a lot of electronics, uh, CRTs can have some some materials in them that are toxic, and so you don't want to just throw it out if you can avoid it. Um, it's better to find a way of of taking that to a recycling area where they can they can strip it of anything that's useful and dispose of the toxic stuff in a responsible manner. But yeah, I, I was happy to get away from the CRT technology. It just it's so bulky. It's inefficient too. It it uses up more electricity than other types of displays. So uh you you could only get to a certain size before it just got too heavy to be practical and it was an electricity hog. So uh yeah, I was glad to see this. I on the list. I definitely agree that it's obsolete. I've seen, you know, some CRTs still being in, used in places, but usually it's cuz it's part of a legacy system once again. Like I've seen CRTs in some um air traffic control towers. But these are usually older air traffic control towers that haven't upgraded their systems yet. And they're relying on uh 80 pound CRTs. And I know this because I had to move them once upon a time.
0: The CRTs were a fascinating subject for me in school. They, they were in a physics textbook. They explained how, how things worked when it comes to this. Uh, they mentioned the electron gun that was in the back shooting. Basically it's drawing the picture line by line. It's happening so quickly. And it was, it was drawing the screen like like the first line, then the third line, then the fifth, and then it would fill in the even numbers, and that's why you'd have something called interlacing. So it's just interesting to see that this this stuff actually does permeate and cause issues. Like even today with some DVDs, if you see interlacing, it's based on this idea of how these televisions were drawing the screen for you, it's right. the picture for you. Which I I always thought was fascinating because whoever thought this is the way we're going to show a moving image is let's just fire a gun really fast back and forth. Right. That's pretty freaking interesting. But yeah, the CRT, thankfully for my back and yours, uh, is no longer a modern day issue, except when you move 80 pound ones like you do.
1: Yeah, uh, that was not a fun job. I'm glad I don't have that job anymore. So we've got lots more to get through. But what I'm thinking, I as if you're amenable to it, is wrapping up this episode and then maybe chatting on a second one about the remaining ones and uh, just have a discussion about any kinds of technology that we think are obsolete that should have made the list but didn't. That would be excellent. I'd love that. All right. Well, for our listeners who might not be familiar with your work or where to find you, what would be the best way to track down Ayaz Akhtar, you know, in a totally friendly kind of way, not a scary Liam Neeson kind of way.
0: Right, so if you want to be able to find me on the internet, the easiest way is to find me on Twitter. Uh my username is iaz, i y a z. I got it early, so I'm usually just iaz on the internet. If you want to find me like at uh, where I work, check out cnet.com. I pen some things every now and then, I do some videos every now and then. Uh so check me out. And I usually mostly Twitter. I just if you want to find out what I'm doing like second to second and find out what's ear me today. Twitter is the way to go.
1: There you go. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email. The address is techstuff at Or uh, You can drop us a line on Twitter or Facebook or uh, Tumblr. That's the third one. Our handle at all three is techstuffhsw. And we will continue this obsolete discussion really soon.